All right, how's everybody doing? Yes, that makes total sense. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 13 for me real quick. Uh, that's where we're going to camp out. But before we get started, uh, as you're flipping, do something maybe uh, not normal. But over the last, I think, two weeks, uh, I've had different conversations with different people, probably four or five people. And here's how the conversation always ends. You need to meet Mike. I mean, it's just, they're talking, they're talking about mission opportunities, they're talking about what they feel like the Lord is leading them to. And I said, do you know Mike? You need to know Mike. And they're always in a different missional community, so they don't know Mike, um, because they're, Mike's part of RMC, but we've got three MCs. And, um, so this morning, you're going to meet Mike. Um, <clears throat> so Mike, come on up, man. I want him to share a little bit about his story, what God is doing through him and Sarah, um, and just the excitement. But I think in a lot of ways, this will be a good relationship for you guys to know Mike and be able to plug in with what they're doing. And as they get more plugged in here, I've known Mike for, oh gosh, a long time, uh, seven or eight years. Yeah, I was actually on the council that helps uh, ordain Mike. So uh, we go way back. It's just cool to see what God has done through him. So just kind of give him a snippet about what's up with you. Well, yeah, thanks, Gabe. Um, yeah, Gabe and I were on staff at the same church, and I think he left staff right, right before I came on. So uh, my wife, Sarah, and I uh, work in a ministry called Mission Element. I'm not going to say it's mine or ours. It's God's. He lets us do it. Um, whose name is on the paperwork is not really relevant. It's all God's thing. Um, so what, what we are is, is technically, a, I guess you, you classify us as a short-term mission sending agency, but we have a really significant discipleship problem um, in that. So we really do, we focus on three things. Um, first one is, is coming alongside churches that are probably in that 300 or less bubble that don't have like that missions pastor on staff. You know, you go talk to the North Points and the 12 Stones of the world and they have a whole department that does missions and mission trips and all that. But contrary to popular opinion, Gabe and Kyle and the folks here at the branch, I mean, you guys don't spend, like, like golf every day between now and next Sunday, right? Four days. Four days. Four days. Four days. Okay. Well, good. So there's that one day of prep that they have to do. But, no, these, these guys are maxed out, especially, you know, the, the smaller in numbers the church is, they wear a lot of hats. And so what happens a lot of times is that the missions thing, like, they have a heart for it. They want to do it. But then the logistics and the making that thing happen, that's hard. And that's where we come alongside them and, and help and and help the local church do what we as the local church are called to do and that's be on missions because you know Matthew 20 is really clear we're supposed to make disciples we go and do that and whether you're in Africa or India or Dawsonville we are called to go and make disciples and so how do we engage the local church in doing that how do we come alongside and do that the, the second thing and this is where I, one of the things I take really probably the most seriously of all of this is is we're here for, for you guys as participants that go out on mission. If you watch, um, anybody ever read Multiply by Francis Chan? Um, David Platt helps edit some of that, I think, and does the forward, and there's a really cool series of videos that go along with each chapter. And David Platt says in the chapter on global mission, he says, I can do more and helping deepen your walk with the Lord, helping make a deeper disciple in one week on a mission trip than I can in a whole year back home. And that is true. I'm in full-time ministry today because of short-term missions. It's an incredible opportunity. It's the crucible of, of training and of grabbing God's heart for the nations and God's heart for making disciples and becoming a deeper disciple yourself because you get to put away the, the phone and your job and school and all the other distractions and focus squarely on what it is that God's up to and, and learn and grow in him at a rate that you struggle to, that I struggle to here when we got all the other noise of, of life in America flying around in our ears. And then the, the third thing, and this is where my heart really beats too, is coming alongside missionaries. How many of you guys were in the church youth group growing up and went out and did a mission trip where you spent a whole ton of time painting walls, building ramps, that kind of thing? Anybody ever do that? Yeah, that's awesome. Those are great things to do. But guess what? Every missionary does not need 27 junior hires that want to paint. Believe it or not, that need is not universal to global mission. 
some contexts that works really, really well. But what's happened a lot of times in short-term mission is that um, we as the church have dictated to field missionaries what it is they're supposed to do. That's backward. My job is to speak missionary, because I was one, and to speak local church, because I was in that world too and am in that world, and, and help create that marriage of where can we as the local church come alongside the mission field and serve in needed capacities and help further what God is already doing, whether that's pastor training, evangelism, sometimes building stuff or painting stuff, absolutely, serving with kids, you know, training school teachers, doing medical missions, you know, whatever that need happens to look like, how can we create that, that unity of the global church as a whole and come along and help what God is already doing? And so to that end, I spent uh, about 16 days in Africa uh, from the end of January to the middle of February looking at a new ministry partner called MedReach. And uh, they're doing some really awesome tip-of-the-spear stuff in northern Uganda. If you guys uh, a few years ago might have seen the movie Coney 2012, I hadn't seen that yet, but it talks a lot about um, the Lord's Resistance Army, northern Uganda, southern Sudan, eastern Congo, and this guy named Joseph Coney who was just wreaking havoc. Child soldiers, the lost boys of, of Sudan, if you've heard that story, those are the folks that, that Coney was recruiting into his army, just decimated northern Uganda. And I even lived over there and didn't know as much about what happened in the north. And so the further north you go from the capital of Kampala, which I'm real familiar with, the, the less money there was. And so we went into this area where there's not a lot of missionaries, there's not a whole lot of churches, and the churches that are there have pastors that haven't had any real formal training. And so they're trying to care for, for folks and, and help them grow in their faith and come to faith and not having, you know, the, the opportunity to do that and the training to do that. And so we get to be the catalyst to go in with a medical team. And medical, it sounds all awesome, it's cool, and it's a lot of fun, and I, had, I got to do a lot of that. But... We're the bait, is what we are. When you're going in and you're doing water projects and you're doing schools and you're doing medical missions, those are all important things, but effectively what you are is bait for evangelism. You're bait for the gospel. Because if that's the thing that's going to draw people out, that's great, but we want you to have actual spiritual healing, not physical stuff. But we spent uh, five days in sleeping in tents, camped out around this school and saw about 1,500 patients come through. Um, that's, that's the side of it that I did instead of the, the teaching side, the pastoral training side. I did um, medical. I'm an EMT as well. Some of you nursing students out there are going, you're an EMT and you saw patients. You know what you call a guy that's a stethoscope in Africa that knows how to use it? Doctor. So if, you, if you're in nursing, the nursing side of things right now, I can put you to work in Africa doing things that you have never gotten to do and would never get to do here. Um, it's, which is a great learning curve, too. That's a lot of fun. But we saw 1,500 patients. We partnered with an organization called Here's Life Africa that goes out into remote villages and shows the Jesus film. And so through our team and through the partnership with Here's Life, about, gosh, about 5,800 people heard the gospel during the time that we were there, which is, which is awesome. Um, that's, that's the number to get excited about, honestly. And then of that number, about 2,000 made decisions and okay so what does that mean salvation is well no not necessarily but those are the folks that are that are interested in in growing in the lord of doing something beyond just hearing now are there people in the other group that probably got it too sure but you know those are that's a place to start and so to that end we we took 29 pastors through pastor training as well so that's a little bit about what we did. I uh, also went over to Tanzania and met with uh, MedReach's folks over there and saw what they do. So we were hoping to be able to maybe partner with them and put more people into Uganda doing medical stuff. But there's opportunities that exist in this country and all over the world for you to engage in global mission and domestic mission here and to engage in doing what God has called us to do and make disciples. And so if that's you, if that's your heartbeat, which you're here at the branch, so I'm going to guess that that's least pretty significant in your life um come talk let's do this thing yeah so mike has just started the process of helping us develop a discipleship plan through missions um so you know we'll we'll be talking what that's going to look like but you know, here within the next year or so we'll be doing uh, some kind of big missions opportunity through mission element so um but yeah i just wanted people to know how many times have you got malaria just curious uh four four times yeah <laughs> 
That's like the gauge of how good of a missionary are you? <laughs> I mean, so many times. But him and Sarah both, I mean, just love missions. And um, so, so grateful to have you guys here. Uh, but like I said, four or five times the past couple of weeks, people have talked to me about missions and mission opportunities. So Mike and Sarah are the ones you need to know. So thank you so much, man. Thank you, Um, there we go. So Luke 13 is where we're going to be. <clears throat> this is your first time. What we've just been doing is working our way through the book of Luke. Um, the, the screen behind us kind of says a meal with Jesus. So what would it look like um, if we actually sat down and had a meal with Jesus? Because some theologians would say that within the book of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, coming to a meal, or going from a meal. So everyone knows something about Jesus. So what we're trying to do is just um, work through the book of Luke and understand who this Jesus guy really is. Um, and so what we're going to see this morning is, is kind of Jesus calling out um, certainty. So when was the last time that you were just 100% certain in a certain thing, answer, problem, and were actually 100% wrong? Right? Were you just like, this is so true, I know this to be true, and then you wake up a couple days, couple weeks, couple months later and just find out, no, that's not true at all. Um, one of the stories from when Mike and I were at the same church together that no one will ever let me live down. So I'm just going to share it here so you can enjoy the laughs and then maybe we can move on past this. Um, <clears throat> so I was just starting to preach, just figuring out what this looked like and my wife's nephew, so I guess it's mine too, but my nephew and niece, but like from my wife's side, came over to spend the night with us and were just uh, awful. Like they were just three and four year olds and just not fun at all. And so I didn't sleep any, like we had put, literally put a barricade up because we didn't have a bedroom door at that time. So we put a barricade up so they couldn't get into the bedroom because I needed to sleep so I could preach effectively, uh, which is funny now because I never sleep on Saturday nights. But I'm um, trying to sleep effectively so I could communicate effectively. But the jokers broke down the barrier and came in and crawled in bed with us. And then my wife got up and made them bacon. She's never got up and make me bacon. So like I'm going to the church just mad because of these little punks that ruined our house. And so I'm, uh, we were just like a quarter mile from the church is where we lived. And so the whole way I'm going, we're never having kids. I'm so certain um, kids and me just do not mesh. This is not going to work. Um, so I got up to preach at Leonard Hills and stood and said, hey, if I seem a little flustered, here's why. Told the whole story, and, and we're never having kids. Kids are not for us. We're not having kids. Literally the next day, I kid you not, literally the next day, um, Bree had a pregnancy test and said, guess what? <laughs> we're having kids. Um, like, here's just a side story of how horrible of a husband I was. I made her drive. <laughs> I feel so bad saying this. I was in such disbelief that I made her drive to CVS by herself to buy another pack of pregnancy tests. So, like, this should be an exciting time, and I'm sitting there about to pass out, and I, I just, she's driving to CVS like, oh, I thought this was going to be fun. Never mind. Um, single mom already. So, uh, what I was trying to get to, though, was I was so certain in the fact that, like, we were just, kids was not in our future. Now, the full culmination of that is we have four kids, um, and like Brie could have more, crazy lady. Um, so for you, I mean, just what was the last time we were so certain, we were so sure of this is going to happen or this is not going to happen? I mean, you got to think, there was sometime in the 1970s, I can't remember the year, they almost closed down the patent office, that they were so certain that nothing new would ever be invented, so let's go ahead and close this thing down. What? <laughs> Think of all the technology that's been invented just in the last decade that they almost closed down the patent office or at one point that they were certain that the world was flat, right? So we're going to see this morning uh, what certainty looks like within faith and Christianity and Christ and, and how it really plays out to us because I think if you're like me, we're, we're putting our certainty, we're putting our hope, we're putting our faith in the wrong thing. And Jesus is going to make this clear. So Luke 13, just four quick verses and we'll spend two hours talking about them. Luke 13, pick it up. If you're new, I'm just joking. Don't worry. <laughs> Luke 13, pick it up, verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Verse 32, and he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. 
Verse 35, behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So if you have a pen, if you highlight, if you underline, if you're taking notes, um, the main text that we just want to highlight, we want to think through is the end of verse 34. And you would not. Another translation said, you are not willing. You are not willing. So let's pray as we dive into what that looks like for us. And Father, this morning, would you just comfort us? Father, would you be the certainty and the hope that we need this morning? And we walk in here tired, frustrated, hurt. But God, you are the prince. Father, you are the prince of priests, the lords of lords. God, you are it. You are our salvation. So we pray this morning that we would be just comforted by your word. God, that you would convict us, that you would woo us back to you where we have turned. God, thanks for everyone in this room. It's your name we pray. Amen. So this idea, you are not willing. You are not willing. Who is he talking to? What's kind of the setting that's taking place where, where Jesus says to them, you are not willing to do this? So he's talking to the Jews, right? I mean, these guys have been following Jesus. These crowds have been following Jesus. Um, and he uses this really interesting analogy that I've, I've read about this phenomenon, too, that when, like, uh, there was one example where a barn caught on fire. Um, and so the farmer, everything was gone. The farmer was going through and just kind of assessing the damage and got to a chicken that had her wings kind of... Um, I don't know what, what word this would be, but uh, f- flustered out. What is this? Spre- spread out? Yeah, that's not the word, but I'll go for it because uh, I'm not dumb enough to think of the word spread. But something, yeah, there's something. Uh, I digress. So I had his wings spread out. Thank you, Kyle. And uh, uh, so they went and picked up the bird. Like, well, like, that's a weird position for the bird to like, get burned up in. And when they picked up the bird, all the baby chicks came flying out. So even though through the fire, the bird through her wings sacrificed herself to bring up the chickens underneath. And so you got to think that's the imagery that Jesus is using with Jerusalem. Like, I long to protect you. I long to bring you up underneath me. I long to take care of you. But you were not willing. That you, you ran from that. So you got to think that, that maybe in this farm store, there's a couple chicks that thought, no, like, I know a better way. I'm certain I can, can get out of this situation. I'm certain I know better than this. I'm certain that that way is going to lead to death, so I can go over this way. I'm certain I can take care of myself. So the certainty for those chickens probably led to death. And what Jesus is going is your certainty in yourself is going to lead to death that I long to bring you up underneath my wings. I long to take care of you. I long to provide for you, but you are not willing. And so what we have to wrestle with just over the next 15 minutes is why are we not willing? What is it that we're not certain in? Because it all comes back to faith, right? I mean, Hebrews 11 says this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. So we all have faith. Because there's a lot of things in life we cannot prove. So my question for us this morning is, is your faith in the certainty of God or is your faith in yourself? Are you so certain that you can provide for yourself, that you can take care of yourself? And if so, is this who Jesus is saying, you're just not willing? I know this looks crazy. I know that even though in the midst of the fire, I'm asking you to come up underneath me and you think you won't survive. But trust me on this. It requires faith but a lot of us are going to put our certainty, our faith within ourselves and go, no, I think I know a way out. I think I can take care of this on my own. It always cracks me up, and I'm just going to bust on you guys real quick. Uh, college freshmen come into college guns blazing. Well, there's two kind of freshmen. Uh, there's the bright-eyed, bushy tail. You're going to tell me exactly what major you're going to have, what career you're going to have, what kind of money you're going to have. You're going to do this and this and this and just list it all out. And every time I hear that, I just chuckle. Like, call me in six months, maybe even three. Call me when you've changed your major 16 times within your freshman year, right? But they're just so, and then there's the other freshman that's like, I don't, I just want to go home. <laughs> I, I haven't had a pacifier in 18 years, but I want one now, right? Like, those are the two extremes. There's no real middle ground. But we all do that. I mean, we get married and we think we know exactly what it's going to take to be a good godly husband. And then six, nine months later, you realize, nope. We get into our first career, our jobs. We feel like, oh, I know. I was college or collegiately trained for this job. And you realize that that four years meant nothing for your first job, right? I mean, you get into parenting. You get at any stage of life. We walk into with this swagger and this certainty that I can take care of 
I can provide for myself. And that's just as much faith as it does to follow after God. So what we're going to look at, what we're going to try to understand is do we need to be certain or have faith in the one that is certain? Because those are two different things. Do you need to be certain in yourself or do you seem to have faith in the one who is certain? Because we're going to see through this dialogue with Jesus and, and some of the Jews around him, everything they brought up, he was able to go, no, that's not right and here's why. No, that's not right and here's why. You're so certain in this, but man, just trust me, I'm the one that's really certain. So the first one we would see is in Jesus' death. Now, verse 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Now, there's a lot of debate about, like, were the Pharisees being legitimate or were they trying to lure him back into their region so they could catch him and try him by night? Uh, but regardless of the motives of the Pharisees, uh, there's some truth in this. Herod was a horrible dude. This is the same Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded, right? So the one that came before Jesus to say, like, the, the kingdom of God is coming, now the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. This same John the Baptist was, the, uh, was murdered by Herod. So there's some certainty there. There's some truth like this guy has killed before. I'm sure he's going to kill again. And listen how Jesus responds. Go and tell that fox. Now let me just stop right here because in our language, like, okay, cool. Like fox are a little red, like furry animal. I love to see him running in the woods. But, but here's what T.W. Mason says about the word fox. To call Herod the fox is much to say that he is neither a great man nor a straight man. He has neither majesty nor honor. So the word fox is almost that Herod was insignificant or worthless. So Jesus is saying, go tell that insignificant, worthless man, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. Verse 32, in the third day I finish my course. Verse 33, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So these Pharisees were so certain. Herod's going to kill you, Jesus. They're, I mean, you could just see them freaking out. Like, you got, you got to run. You got to go protect yourself. And Jesus going, listen, that sounds certain to you. But let me tell you what's actually certain. I'm not going to die outside Jerusalem. And I'm not going to die before my time is up. So calm down. Go tell that insignificant, worthless human being, throw your best threats. But I'm certain I'm not going to die now. I mean, wouldn't we love just to have that kind of power in our words? That kind of certainty that the Lord spoke, so whatever you want to say to me, just go ahead and say it. But I'm absolutely confident that you're wrong. I mean, Romans would say that if God is for us, who can be against us? So we have this power in us. We have this certainty in us. But all too often, we bow down and we go, oh gosh, the fear of man is a real thing. I'm going to cower down. But we know what Romans says. God is truly for us. What's going to stop us? So in that moment, you've just got to ask the question, where does your faith lie? In yourself or in God? Or do you have to be certain or do you have the faith in the one who is certain? Here's another example. Um, verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones though, those who are sent to it. So who he's talking about is Second Chronicles. Um, they stone Zechariah for coming and preaching the good news that Jesus is coming, that a Savior is coming, that a Messiah is coming. So you've got to think about this for a second. I mean, we, we read this, but take yourself out. How certain do you have to be to kill someone? I mean, any, anybody in here just killed anyone on a whim? Like he, that bro looked at me wrong. So I pulled out my ice pick and took care of business. No, not at I mean, if you have, thank you for not raising your hand. But, but seriously, like, you have to be so certain to stone someone. And so Jesus is saying, listen, your certainty, your faith when you're within yourself led to killing an innocent man. You're so certain about that. But Jesus is telling him, no, 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 you're not, you're not going to kill me. You're not certain in this situation. You messed up before, and you're messing up now. You're having faith in your certainty, not in the certainty of God. Or, or maybe the last example that he uses, verse 34 and 35. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Verse 35, behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These Jews and these Pharisees were so certain that Jesus wasn't Lord. 
They knew the words of the Old Testament. They knew all the prophecies of Isaiah. They knew that a Messiah was coming. They even heard John the Baptist preach that he's here. But they're, all their faith relied on themselves. They were certain that he's not Lord, that he cannot do this, that this isn't who I've heard about. And Jesus is going, listen, you're not willing. Because of that certainty in yourself, because you think you can decipher who I am, because you trust more on your own power and not leaning on me, that certainty is going to lead to your destruction. You're not going to see me, you're not going to hear of me until I come back to save the world. But you will profess my name. Whether you follow me now or whether you get to eternity, you will profess my name. Verse 35, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's going to happen. Jesus is certain, listen, you're going to know that I'm Lord, and I'm begging you to know that now. But there's going to come a day where you're going to be certain. And wouldn't it be better to know that now than later? So so here's the big idea. Here's where I just kind of want to chew on for the last few minutes. Are you Jerusalem? Are we Jerusalem? Are we so set in our ways? Are we so certain that we know the things of God, that we know what's best for us, that we're actually pushing God out of the equation? That where the Pharisees were up going, Jesus, Jesus, they're going to kill you. And he goes, oh, that's funny. No, they're not. No, Jesus, seriously, they are. Uh, like, listen, I, I know, like, you think so, but like, no, Jesus, listen, I, I know, I'm, I'm so certain in this. And Jesus goes, bro, I was there when the heavens were created. I was there when the earth was created. I was there when you were created. Don't think about that too far. I know the thoughts in your mind. I know the hairs in your head. Like, trust me, I'm certain in this. They're not going to kill me. But do we have that kind of faith and that kind of certainty in Jesus Christ? Or do we have that kind of faith and certainty in ourselves? Because listen, folks, there's only two ways. You're either certain in yourself or you're certain in the things of God. There's no middle ground. You're either having faith on your own power or you're having faith in Jesus Christ. But there's nothing in the middle. So we just got to wrestle with the fact, are we certain, are we like the Jews that we're so certain in our own power and our own strength or... Are we certain in Jesus? Are we certain in his way? So, so here's just a couple. I mean, this, this could be a huge, long discussion, but as I was praying and thinking through, uh, I think here's three major ways that we can be certain in ourselves and not uncertain in the things of Christ. Um, the first one is that we're more, or we are certain that doing is more important than being. That we are certain that doing things for God is more important than being with God. And I hear this all the time. I mean, you ask anybody, hey, tell me about your walk. Tell me what's going on. Uh, What are they going to start doing? Listen, well, I'm involved in here. I'm involved in this and this Bible study and that Bible study. And I go to three churches on a Sunday and, and this and this and this and this. And they just start listing out all these things. They're certain that their religious activities equate faith in God. And sometimes, sure, that can be true, but for the majority of us, we're just doing these things because we feel like we're supposed to and we have to, and therefore God is going to be pleased with us. I heard a phrase this week, just some guy was praying over me and said it. I'm like, man, did you say that? And he's like, no, but you can give me credit if you want to. Uh, Taylor Lazenby is the one that told me, but he couldn't remember who said it first. We have to remember that we're human beings, not human doings. That's a huge distinction. That we are created to be human beings, not human doings. And these people that I talk to, man, yeah, I'm telling you all these things. I can guarantee you what that conversation is going to look like in a year or two. They're going to be burnt out. They're going to be frustrated at God and frustrated at the church and frustrated at ministries and just be done with the whole thing. Because they're operating so much in their own power that they're certain that they can do this thing on their own. I mean, gosh, Carlton asked me this morning when I walked in, hey, man, how are you doing? You ready to preach? I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm tired. Carlton's preaching for me next week. And a lot of this, as I'm writing this text, I'm like, gosh, this is stinking me. That I'm so certain that I can do this thing on my own. That I can be a good husband, that I can be a good father, that I can lead here, that I can help Milledgeville get off the ground, that, that I can follow some of the things I feel like the Lord is asking our family to be a part of. And I'm so certain that I'm strong enough and man enough to do all this on my own. And it always leads to Failure. You either humble yourself or God's going to humble you. So if we don't admit to ourselves that I'm so certain I can't do this. I mean, why do you think Paul, the Jew of Jews, boasts so much in the fact that uh, I'm going to boast in my weakness because when I'm weak, then Christ is strong. 
So what God is asking us is not be certain that you can do what I've given you. I mean, if we can do all that he's asked us to do without his power, would we really want to do that? I mean, if we could follow Christ enough on our own strength and our own power, then, then why do we need him? If we could do everything by ourselves, then wasn't his death unnecessary? I mean, would he really have gone to the cross and go, just in case you can't, I'm going to do this? Uh, it's going to be really painful and hard for me, but, uh, but I know a majority of you guys can figure your way through life by yourself. But just for the few weak ones that can't, I'll go ahead and take care of this for you. Do you really think that was a conversation, or is the cross the biggest picture that you cannot do this? That you cannot make it through this life on your own. You need the power of Christ, and you need great community around you. So there's a story in Luke 10 that we preach, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time over it, but it's Mary and Martha. A lot of us know the story of Mary and Martha, where uh, Martha is running around the kitchen getting everything ready and cooking and cleaning, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's not doing anything. She's just being in his presence. And Martha gets so frustrated because Mary's not carrying her own weight and says, Jesus, like, aren't you going to rebuke her? Aren't you going to get her to help me? And Jesus says, no, listen, Mary has chosen the good portion, the portion that cannot be taken away from her. So, so what are we choosing when we choose to do all these things for God? That We're choosing that certainty means do things for God but a faith in Christ would say, no, we're going to do things with God. Wherever he's working, we're there. But if he just wants me to sit for a season, I'm there. I mean, as you continue in your MCs and as we continue through these life shapes, there's going to be seasons of growth and there's going to be seasons of pruning. And during this, it's going to be a painful process, partly because Jesus is going to say, just sit and do nothing. And I'm going to start working on even cutting some things off of you. And it's not going to be fun but that's what growth looks like. Or here's another one. I hear this so often. Now, are we so certain that it's about being a good person? We are so certain that I can please God, that I can have faith in God. I just gotta do the right things and be a good person. So I can never drink. I don't do drugs. I don't chew. I don't do anything like that. I don't watch rated R movies unless it's about Jesus. Then I watch rated R movies. That's the only R movie I've ever watched in my life. Um, I always say good things. I'm always encouraging. I love everyone around me. I'm just gonna be a really, really good person. But is that really the truth? Is that the certainty that God is asking us to do is to be a good person? Now just from an apologetic standpoint, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels again because none of the disciples were good dudes. They were all, for lack of better words, morons. They constantly screwed things up. And I'm grateful for that because I'm in that camp. I watch these guys and go, yeah, I could run with them. I could do that. Watching Peter just stumble over himself and argue with God like, what? <laughs> that's just not, it's not, no, anyways. Uh, I could go in there. I just, I just love when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to, to Peter. Like, what did that feel like when Jesus, like, bro, get behind me. Like, just shut up for a while. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I certainly will, sir. Uh, anyways, so he, here's what happens. Though. When we focus on being such a good person, doing all these right things, um, in our mind, subconsciously, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but, but we really start to believe that Jesus owes us something for all that we've done for him. So I'm going to be a good person. I've never done these things, and then one bad thing happens to us, or, or the, the whole thing falls apart of life, divorce, death. Um, you get kicked out of school. You can't pay for school. Um, you get fired from your job. All these things start taking place, and your mind automatically racist too. I've done all these things for you, Jesus, and you couldn't repay me once. I've done all these things. I was so certain that I was doing the right things, and, and then when I get to this point where I feel like I really need you, you weren't there. But haven't I done all these things for you? Haven't I been a really good person? Haven't I done um, above and beyond? I'm so certain in my own works, and they're failing me. If you have your Bibles, flip to Hebrews 11 real fast. I was going to paraphrase this, but I just want us to see it. See this just blanket statement of, of truth for us. When we get rid of our false certainty, this is what certainty actually is. Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. This section of Hebrews 10, 11, 12 is just probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture. So I would implore you to just go home and read over and study this some because we're going to fly through it, but... But this is the truth of certainty that I need you guys to hear this morning. Hebrews 11, pick it up, verse 32. And what more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, I'm going to mess that up, so I'm going over, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, just stop right here real fast and look at me. A lot of us are certain that if we follow after God, this is the power that we're going to have. That if we truly do what God's asking us to do, if, we, if our behavior is correct and we're so certain that we're doing what we're supposed to do, we're going to have this power. That anything we say in God's name, that is going to be the power. But, but the certainty comes in this. It's not the end result that Jesus is concerned about. It's our obedience. Because here's also what happens. Uh, in the middle of verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and even in dens and caves of the earth. So here's what we're so certain of, that if we follow God and we do what he's asked us to do, then our entire life is going to be great. That everything that we do is going to prosper and God's going to bless everything. So when we see things fall apart, our immediate response is, what did I do wrong? I was a good person, God, and this is how you repay me. We, we probably, some of us are wrestling with this right now. But we have to understand, I mean, Hebrews 11 is called the Heroes Hall of Fame. I mean, the, the heroes of our faith. And just as quick as we praise the ones that did incredible things, and we could read through Old Testament characters left and right. But no, 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 the author of Hebrews said, listen, but these guys were obedient too. But these women were obedient too. And just because things didn't work out for them does not mean that, that God didn't love them, they weren't being obedient that was just what God had for them because we still read about them today. Now, we can test this out. We can flare this out a little bit. I mean, look at the rest of the disciples. Where did they end up? Right? James, the half-brother of Jesus, was thrown off a temple because he wouldn't recant. Do you think that's what they signed up for? So we have to just to get this out of our mind that if we do all these things that God is asking us to do, everything's going to be great. It's not about the end goal, it's about the process. It's about the obedience today. That's what he's worried about. Um, the Matthew quotes Hosea in the Old Testament that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. That he's not worried about what you're giving up or what you're doing. He's worried about uh, him lo are you loving him with everything that we have. That's what he's after. He's after obedience, not like, look at all that I've done for you. When he didn't ask us to do any of that. Or, or maybe the last one. And I, and I will just kind of leave this one hanging for a little bit. Are you certain that God is absent? I mean, you are so certain right now that God is not here. That if he were here, he's not a really good God. That if he would have been present, then this would not have taken place. So you're not struggling with the fact that you, you know you're a wretched sinner. You know that there's no way that you can be certain that your acts are going to appease a loving God. So you know you're broken, but through this brokenness, you've started to believe that you're certain that God is just not real. That God is just absent. That God is not here for you. Because you can tell us the story of your life. And listen, if you were to tell us the story of your life, we would all be broken in tears for you. None of us would rebuke you for feeling that way, that God is absent. I get it. We've gone through seasons. I mean, this would be the part of my sermon where I could just use an illustration about our family, but I don't know if that would work. Because as I'm talking, I can see it on your face, the seasons that you guys have gone through where you felt like God was absent. You might be there right now. And you're certain that he is not here, that he is not working and you're starting to doubt. You're starting to wonder. You're starting to walk away from him. Again, we've got this family, this Mary and Martha. 
John 11 uses this story uh, where they sent off, hey, listen, our brother is dying. You need to get back. And Jesus goes, I'll, I'll get back when I get back. We're going to stay here a couple more days. Lazarus dies. They start heading back. And, and John 11, 21 through 22 is just, uh, one, just a crazy emotional text. Uh, Martha runs out to meet and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if, if you've been through this, if you've wrestled through this, you understand this because we've all uttered these words. God, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. I'm certain that if you would have been here, this would have gone a different way. So where were you? We start to wrestle with this fact like, God, you let me down. You said you would never leave me or forsake me, but I don't know what to do with what I'm feeling right now because I feel like you just left me and forsake me. I have a hard time being around friends and socializing because it seems like you're blessing everyone else around me except for me. Where were you? Because if you were here like we asked, this would not have happened. And listen, church, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, praise God, but it's coming. And it's going to be the most grievous time of your life, but it's going to be the most growing time of your life. But listen, Martha didn't stop there, and I don't think we can stop there. John eleven twenty two. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. But, but even now, I know you're still God, and I know whatever you ask, it will be given. So this certainty for Martha didn't last very long. This certainty that God's absence was the death of her brother didn't last long. Because in the next sentence she goes, I know it's emotions, I'm feeling this, but I ultimately know that you're still God. And I'm certain in that. Um, Kyle tells this thing to our staff all the time, just because uh, we feel this way doesn't mean it's right. The feelings are real, but it doesn't mean they're right. And so, so often we judge all of God's character just on the way that we're feeling today. And I've hated people before, and they're some of my best friends today, right? No one else? Cool, okay. Sorry, I hated somebody. I know that's against scripture. Right, but we've all wrestled with, I mean, our feelings in the moment have been so real, but we cannot base life on feelings. When we do premarital counseling, my wife and I, that's one of the first things that we say is, right now you're feeling all this lovey-dovey stuff, um, but love is a fact, it's not a feeling. There's going to be come a day where you don't feel like loving your wife, but you've got to choose to do it out of a fact. Christ loved me, I love my wife. Feelings fade, facts don't. So where are we putting our certainty in? Can we honestly say the words of Martha, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. My, my biggest encouragement, if you're in the season right now, is just zoom out. And we're so tunnel vision on just what's happening right now. But if we can just get up to 30,000 feet and maybe just start to dream about what the, what the big picture of God is up to right now, maybe we start bringing some hope that God is not absent, that God has not forgotten about us. He loves us and he's growing us and he's growing the situation. But, but are we putting more of our faith in our own certainty or in the certainty of God? That's where we have to continually wrestle. So, so here's two pleas this morning, and then we'll pray and, and be done. Here's my first plea. Uh, Romans 1 is very clear that God pursues, but God also gives us over to our own indulgences. Here's what it says, Romans 1, 24 through 25. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to the impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So if we continually put our certainty in ourselves, we put our faith in ourselves and our limited understanding, there might come a day where God says, okay, okay, take it. You need to learn. I've been wooing you. I've been calling you back. I've longed to put you under my feathers. But you refuse to listen. So, okay, I'm going to turn you over to your desires. I'm going to turn you over to your certainty. I'm going to turn you over to your flesh. Go for it. But it's going to end bad. 
Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, change that to your name. Oh, Gabe, I've begged with you, I've pleaded with you to stop being so certain in yourself. But I, 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 I'm turning you over. I'm letting you win. You think you're so certain, go for it. Go for it. Here's the other part. My other plea with you is this. There are a lot of times in our life when we're so certain, we're so set in our ways, and it's just a blind spot. We just don't see it. We don't see the flaw. We don't see the sin. We don't see uh, how it's damaging and how it's affecting us. There's only one way for that to be seen is in true, authentic community where we test and we discern and we wrestle with one another. We've got guys or girls in our life that go, hey, listen, um, you keep talking this way. You keep hiding behind your theology, but what is Jesus really asking you to do? You keep hiding behind this facade, and and I've walked with you long enough to know, man, you're putting more faith in yourself than in God. How can I help you in this? I mean, we were just at our MC Friday night. We had a big time of prayer, and the things that kept coming up was uncertainty about the future and and anxiety about what that looks like. And I'm just singing God's praises because that's what it should look like. We should go, God, I don't know what's going to take place in the next three years, but I'm just trusting you in that. And so people were bringing that up in a negative. I'm going, no, 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 that's positive. That's how it should be. That is what Christianity looks like to go, here's where I think. I mean, all through the letters of Paul, Paul always goes, listen, my desire was to go here, but God redirected my path. So for us as college students, or even just in general, um, it's good and a great thing to say our desire is here, but we're totally open for the Lord redirecting our path. Whatever that looks like for us, God, just do it. That's the good, right prayer, but the only way that we can bring that up is in community. Uh, I think, where's Carly? Is Carly in here? Carly Baker. There she is. So I'm just going to brag on Carly for a second. Um, She feels like, and she's wrestling with um, some, some pretty big radical things for what the Lord is asking her to do. But here's what I love about Carly. Carly is not so certain in herself that she's gonna make these decisions apart from community. She's asking all her friends and family that she trusts and she loves and she respects and going, listen, I'm I'm fairly certain God is asking me in this, uh, but I don't wanna put any faith in myself. I wanna put faith in Jesus Christ alone. So can you help me pray and discern through this? That's what it starts to look like because Carly's got some ideas that she feels like are from the Lord and they're crazy. I'll tell them, you okay if I say that? They're crazy, but as I pray and consider for her, I think that's what the Lord is asking her to do. And it's not just me. She's got friends and family around her praying for the same thing, but this cannot take place apart from true, authentic community. That is where you're going to find out if you're putting more certainty in yourself or the one who is certain, Jesus Christ. And it's that simple. It's that divisive. And everything that we do, we're putting faith in ourselves our faith in the one who is certain. So as we close this morning, I just want to wrestle with that through communion. Um, We take communion every Sunday, and and here's why. Um, Jesus was clear, Mark 1.15, repent and believe. So this morning, as we take communion, what we're asking is, God, would you show me where I've been more certain in myself than with you? And I want to turn from that. I want to believe that your ways are better than my ways. And so if, if you're new here, if you're not a believer yet, man, I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, but we ask that you would just kind of watch as we take communion, that this is for the believers, that this means the world to us, um, that Christ came and died for us, so that when we break the bread, it represents his body. We dip it in the juice, it represents his blood, that, that even though we are not certain, uh, he is the one who is. And this is what certainty looks like, that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is what certainty looks like, that he came and pursued us. So as we pray this morning, where are you certain in yourself? Where are you the Jews, where are you the Pharisees running up to Jesus, telling him something that he already knows? Where are you the three-year-old that's trying to tell the world how to operate? And I would say just in the words of Jesus, let's repent and believe. And so Jeremy, one of our elders, will be over at that community table. I'll be over here. If you just need someone to pray with or talk to, you feel like you need to respond in any certain way, we'll be there for that. But, But here's my plea. Recognize the sin before it's too late and get into a community where people can lovingly push you back to the truth. So let's pray. 
And Father, we are so grateful that, that you love us, God, that even in our sin and even in our imperfections, Father, you still show grace upon grace upon grace. God, that you've poured out your love for us. So Father, we just wrestle this morning with our own certainty. God, we know that that our sins, that our struggles, that our battles come with wrestling through this factor. We more we have more faith in ourselves than we do with you, Jesus. So God, I'm asking for this church this morning that you would speak to us, that you would reveal to us where we are hanging our hat. Is it in our intellect, in our sociable skills, in all of our activities, in everything that we do for you? God, is that where we hang our hat of certainty? Or Father, can we just admit that we know nothing Can we utter the words of Paul? I've chosen to forget everything other than Christ and Christ crucified. That is the only thing I'm certain of this morning. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's it. That's all I've got. So God, would you speak to us? Would you um, convict our hearts this morning of where we're putting more of our hope and faith in? if it's not you. God, I know that there are some this morning that are wrestling with this fact, that are on the brink of pushing you away forever, God, because they feel like they've been betrayed and hurt. So God, would you just bring a sense of peace for their souls this morning? God, as we take communion this morning, would they remember the truths? Would they be able to zoom out And know that in this moment, we don't feel it, but we know the facts of Scripture. We know that for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. God, that he didn't come to condemn us, but to save us from condemnation. That you're constantly wooing us back. But we also live in a broken world where sin destroys everything. So Father, would this morning, would you just bring a spirit of peace for those souls that just need you? Would communion mean something different for them this morning? And God, would we repent? Would you convict us of putting more certainty and more faith in ourselves instead of you, the one who is certain? Father, would we repent this morning and we believe that you are good and you love us? So God, let us not be Jerusalem. Jesus, let us not believe that we have everything figured out and try to tell you how to do your job. But would we know our rightful place in the kingdom laying face down in front of your throne, trusting you with everything? It's in your name we pray. Amen.